0: Hey, and welcome to another episode of True Hauntings and Scary Stories. This is Cynthia Sear. Today's episode normally would be my sister Tina and I chatting about some true um, ghost stories that were submitted to us. But unfortunately, her little girl is not feeling well, so it's just going to be me. Just a quick reminder, um, please, if you love what you are hearing in my podcast, please consider subscribing and also leave me a review because those would be really super helpful with me, um, just starting out this new podcast. So please do that. And if you want to hear my bonus episodes that I make, I make two bonus episodes per month, please consider, um, checking out my Patreon account and becoming a patron of mine so you can get access to that stuff. It is patreon.com slash true hauntings. So today's episode is actually a pretty somber episode. Uh, I got a true ghost story submitted to me by someone I know, and I want to make sure that I give her story um, the proper respect that it deserves because it is a heart-wrenching story, with a really great uh, message of forgiveness at the end. So today's episode at the end, I'm not going to go through my normal ending where I say, oh, thanks for listening and all that stuff. Um, I just don't feel like it is an appropriate ending for this particular story. And actually, I'm not even going to discuss the story because I just don't feel like it needs that. So I'm going to read the story and then just let it be. I also need to let you know that we have a few trigger warnings in this story. This story does involve domestic violence, domestic abuse, and it does also involve murder and suicide. So if those are triggers for you, I would say listen at your own risk. The story is pretty heartbreaking and I really feel for all the people involved So this story is submitted by Shahina. This is a true story, my story. Coincidence or signs from beyond? Well, if I'm going to start a story, I suppose the best place to start would be from the beginning. But before I do, read at your own risk. Don't say I didn't warn you. Hell, I might not even believe most of it, and that's fine, because it really doesn't matter what you believe Because unfortunately, your opinion won't change the fact that it did happen. How do I know, you ask? Well, because I lived it. It all started when I was around six years old in our house in Daly, California, that godforsaken house where it all happened. A dreadful place where children endured such terrors that even grown adults shouldn't have to witness. The things that went on in that house I would not even wish on my own enemies. Till this day I get chills driving past it and have only been back to visit one time. I was still young, maybe 10 or 11 when we went back. My sister had taken us to visit the family who still owned the home when we rented from them years ago. Walking through that house, even though we had lived in the downstairs portion before, I could still almost hear the memories screaming at me through the walls. Screaming and bleeding, torment, agony and pain. Flashbacks of the moment my life changed forever. We were told new tenants lived down there now. We wondered if they too saw things. We had a sad but pleasant time with the old Pakistani family. It had been nice to see the little girl who was my age, that I grew up with. She was a very sweet girl. In fact, the very few happy moments I had there often included her and her older siblings. Playing in the backyard, watching our older brothers and sisters do pranks on each other, building the biggest house of cards and then destroying it. Good times. But then, I would also remember all the times I wondered why my family wasn't normal like hers. I remembered all the times they were afraid of my family. The times we were all afraid of my dad. Like the time her father ran after my father, grabbing the car window, trying to stop him from driving off angry and drunk, but my father didn't care in the heat of the moment and continued driving off anyways, dragging her father, causing him to fall so hard on the ground that his scrapes and bruises across his body looked as if he had jumped out of a moving vehicle at 70 miles per hour. Yet he still forgave my father. Everyone always forgave my father. When he wasn't evil, he was actually quite an amazing man. I remember the days that family had to literally save us by calling 911 or an ambulance. Like that time I held my dad by the waist, screaming and crying for him to stop swinging the machete around towards my mom, who was hiding, covering her head behind my sister, who was behind my brother, who was behind me, also trying to stop our father. All of our begging and pleading got us nowhere. Until finally, somehow, this five-foot-eight-inch man reached over all of us and hit my mom's forearm right to the bone, slicing some of her ear at the same time. She ran out the door through the back gate and into our landlord's open garage where the uncle of the family called the ambulance as my sister and him tried to slow down the bleeding. My mother was bleeding all over the place. So much blood. Too much. Luckily, my 18-year-old sister was studying to be a nurse and knew exactly what to do, and thanks to her, my mother got to live a little longer. The last thing I remember was the uncle mopping up the puddle of dark red blood from the garage floor. The mop looked like it had been dyed red with no white showing, not even a speck. That was the first time I learned that thick and large amounts of blood looked almost black. Bittersweet memories indeed, but definitely more bitter. My sister and I said our goodbyes to that childhood family that day and never went back. I hope wherever they are today they are happy and well. My family and I grew up poor. My dad worked as a mechanic and at a little food cart in a hotel lobby where I remember visiting him and eating yummy salty peanuts. I remember his hands being stained of car oil and how it would gross me out when he would feed us with his hands. Of course, now I realized those were what working hands looked like. His hands were small, but very mighty. He could crack walnuts with his bare palms. I know if anyone knew how strong my dad's hands were, it was my mother. My mom was a clerk at Walgreens. She often brought me home the newest toys and movies from her job. I always felt so special. Being the youngest definitely had its perks, but I can't say I was a spoiled brat, because one, we were too poor to spoil anyone. And two, I was a good little kid, far from a brat. The first movie my mom ever got for me from her store was The Land Before Time. I love that movie so much, but it makes me sad. Not sure if it's because it was the first movie she ever got me, or due to the irony of Littlefoot also losing his mother. One of the other fond memories about my mom working those days was that my sis and I would make sure to record the show Dinosaurs on VHS because it was my mom's and our favorite show. Our favorite character, of course, was the cute, fat little baby dinosaur who always said, not the mama, not the mama. That show always makes me smile, but also feel a little sad. That day in Daly City was beautiful as a whole, but as I mentioned, we lived in the bottom portion, which was very small for the five of us. In the beginning, it consisted of one main big room, which was pretty much the kitchen, dining room, living room, and a bedroom all in one. There was another room, which was the master bedroom, where my parents slept. Eventually, we managed to push open a door that used to be locked by the stove, and it revealed a whole new room, with a bathroom too, in which our landlord let us use, because he knew we needed the space. We put two more beds in there for my brother, sister, and I. It was in that room I had my first ever paranormal encounter. The experience was so odd, unexplainable, and it involved my sister. She used to braid her hair in a very long braid every night before bed, so her hair wouldn't get tangled. I so admired that she always had the most beautiful, thick, long black hair. One morning I woke up, and my sister's back was facing me. As I woke, I noticed something that made my heart jump for a second. When I looked at her braid, it was completely chopped in half. I felt so bad for her because I knew how much she loved her hair. Right away I assumed my brother and my cousin had to be up to this, because there was always a prank battle between them. I remember feeling so awful and thinking it was such a cruel joke. I turned around, upset, and tried to go back to sleep, but I couldn't. I kept thinking about her braid, just laying there separated. So I turned back around to look at it again, and it was suddenly back together as if nothing ever happened. I didn't understand any of it. It was creepy, and just weird. Till this day I have no explanation for it, and why it ever even happened, but that was just the beginning. How I wish that's all that had happened in that old house. By the time I was seven, I had my second paranormal experience that actually ended up happening quite frequently at the house. Thinking back now, I don't know how I was such a brave little girl, because describing it out loud, it's pretty damn terrifying. It was this apparition of a woman... It would always be dinner time around 6 p.m. Everyone would be home, setting up the table, putting food out and moving about. When I'd walk by our dining room table in front of our TV, place my left hand on the table, and just zone out. Everyone around would just disappear in the background. There were two small steps that led up to my parents' room, which was located to the right of the TV that led up to my parents' room. The same two steps I remember once sitting on, coloring in my coloring book, and looking up at my dad ripping my mother's clothes off on the bed as she kicked and screamed, sliding his belt out of his pants as if he was a lion tamer and his belt was the whip. He stood there looking so big, even though he was so short, and as he whipped his belt all over my mother's naked body, I just sat there, just coloring, not reacting, not focusing on anything but coloring in between the lines." Looking back to that day now, I see just how much day-to-day trauma we really faced. Okay, back to the story. Everyone would disappear into the background as I zoned out. I'd see this translucent lady walk down those two steps slowly. This mysteriously bleak woman was wearing a white nightgown with bloodstains around the stomach. I couldn't see her face, but her hair was black, shoulder-length, and strangely messy, as if she had just crawled out of a grave. Plus, she had her head turned away from me so I could never really see her face. Would I ever really know who this woman was? She would slowly walk down from my mother's room and go behind the TV and just vanish literally into thin air. After that, I would snap out of this unexplainable trance and simply brush it off as if it never happened. I saw the same apparition more than a couple of times and it always just repeated itself the same exact way. I never told anyone about her. Not then, at least. To be honest, if I had known the next few weeks would be leading me up to that horrid day that changed my life forever, I probably would have paid closer attention. A few weeks later, my mom finally got the guts to ask for a divorce. Back then, though, both signatures were required and my father refused to sign the papers. I'm very grateful that law has now changed. It's probably saved millions of lives. My father's alcoholism sucked my mother into its toxicity, and at times she too could be evil. Not as evil as him, but the drinking turned my sweet angelic mother into a mean and cruel drunk. She would say such cruel things to my older sister. I think my mother had so much pain and misery she endured from my father that she had to release it on something. So she released it on the only thing she really had, her kids." I remember my brother, who was maybe 16 at the time, got in trouble for sneaking out with his delinquent friends, and my mom threw a top of a metal pot like a frisbee, and it hit him in the arm and gave him a big gash. I remember being about 6 or 7, waiting to play with my friends after school, holding a huge yellow manila folder, when suddenly somebody pushed me so hard from behind that I tripped forward and dropped my envelope. I turned around to see my mom was standing there with the meanest look, pulling me to go. It was very apparent she was drunk. I remember feeling so embarrassed and sad because I didn't understand why she treated me like that. I was her baby girl. She loved me. I get it all now, but wish I had then too. The day it all happened, I remember I was home alone with my mom. It was a lazy Wednesday afternoon. My sister was at college, and my father, I believe, was at work. We were playing on my mom's bed, which was now actually in the living room kitchen by the TV, because my mother was finally done with my dad, and was trying to slowly make the move she needed to leave him once and for all. That damn signature was all that was holding her back. I know my sister was proud of her for finally trying to leave because so many times in the past she would beg our mother to just go, but my mother often told us while being drunk herself, after a huge fight and crying, that she could never leave us. After all, where was a poor Indian woman supposed to go? She knew he would never leave her alone, and as crazy as it sounds, in a very sick and twisted way, my dad was in love with my mother. So many times he pretended to leave like the night my sister, my mother, and I came home and the lights were on in the house and my mom got scared and held us back with both arms saying out loud, Who's here? Come out now and show yourself. I have a gun. Even though she did not. Then the closet door opened and my dad stepped out with a knife saying, I'm here to kill you, you, and you. Pointing the knife at each of us which was a first for our dad because as violent and cruel as he was to my mother, he almost never hit us or was mean to us at all. I don't remember how that night played out, but obviously he didn't kill us. Somehow, I don't know where, but my mom had met someone new. I remember she once took me to this man's home and we spent the night. He treated her like the queen she was, and I was not used to seeing a man treat my mother so good. He was a handsome Punjabi man, who at the time I didn't understand why he spoke a different dialect than us, but my mother spoke it very well. He made her so happy. I'd never seen her smile or flirt like that with my dad. My mom tried to keep him a secret, but my older siblings were catching on, and I remember they would often try to interrogate me to spill the beans, but I kept my mother's secret. I believe to this day that man was my mother's soulmate. He was her knight in shining armor who was going to save her from the evil monster, but in this fairy tale, the monster won. The damsel in distress did not get saved by her Prince Charming. I think that's why it's so important for me to find my own happy ending. I never got to see it with my parents. I don't think my father ever knew about that man, not that it should have mattered since my father often cheated on my mom, or so I was told by my sister. I think simply knowing my mother didn't love him anymore was enough of a reason for him to snap. I don't feel shame speaking about my mother's lover. She didn't do anything wrong. She was abused, taken for granted, and fell in love with someone who deserved her. She wanted to better her future for herself and her children. I only wish she had a fighting chance. I remember when that man showed up at my mother's funeral all suited up, wearing regret, guilt, and a broken heart on his sleeves. I don't know how my brother knew who he was. Maybe it was just obvious that this man was showing up to the love of his life's funeral. My brother, with tears in his eyes, tried to attack the man out of rage, and our older cousin had to restrain him by grabbing him around his arms from behind and literally picking him up and walking away. I stood there so sad for that man. One day I will write a book about one of the saddest love stories I know, and it will be from the shoes of that man. I hate that I have to refer to him as that man, and that I don't even know his name. Wherever he is, I pray he found closure, love, and happiness, because he deserved it, just as we all do. Back to that day. That day, my mom and I were playing together on the bed next to the TV. She held me, tickled me, and did all a loving mother would do to make her little one smile. As I sat there looking down at her beautiful face, I once again zoned out. I had a vision. It was of my dad, my mom, my sister and I walking across the street in front of our house when suddenly a car comes and hits us and my mom died. Only my mom. I remember seeing this vision and really feeling in my heart that my mom died. I had never felt that before. It was so strange, not only because I'm sure most seven-year-olds don't get the sudden feeling of their mother dying, but also because as many times as I saw my father almost kill my mother, the thought of her actually ever really dying had never come to fathom till that very moment on that Wednesday afternoon. When I came back to, I looked down at her smiling gorgeous face and told myself, nah, that could never happen, and continued playing with her. Later on that day, my dad took me out to eat with just me and him to Burger King, and I wondered why he was treating me to this yummy fast food and why it was just the two of us spending time. We came back and I remember him arguing with my mother, trying to convince her to go visit my brother who was now at a juvenile facility, which was way out in the boonies. My mother insisted she would take him food another day and she didn't seem to understand my father's pushiness. They did not go. That same day, some family members from my mom's side who had two daughters close to my age were also supposed to visit as well, but they canceled and did not go. I often wonder if that day would have played out differently if they had come to visit. Later, I was sitting by the dining room table in front of the TV in the same chair that I would sit on when seeing the apparition. Oddly enough, it was actually close to 6 p.m. as well the time I often saw the apparition. My mom and I were watching an Indian movie as she lay in her bed. I remember it being a sad part in the movie and seeing some tears sneak down her cheeks as she always cried at sad parts in movies, as I often do as well to this day. Thinking about it now, I see why I don't care to watch any Bollywood movies anymore. Too many sad memories. My sister was behind me on the right doing her homework on a desk. I hadn't known till later, but she was feeling uneasy, unable to concentrate on her homework, because her attention was on our father, who was standing in the kitchen behind us, looking at my mother, then looking back at my sister. He did not hide his nervousness well. My sister had gotten into a fight with my mother the night before, but as angry as she was with her, after speaking to her friends at school that day on a random topic about husbands killing their wives, my sister stated, I could never live without my parents. She had rushed home from school in a panic, with a feeling that something horrible had happened. She banged on the door frantically, afraid of what she might find, but the door was answered by my mother, giving her attitude about why she was knocking in such a way. Relieved, my sister's pride came back again, and she continued to act mad at our mother. If only she knew that decision would haunt her for years to come. So many if-onlys. So many what-ifs. Then it happened. It happened too fast and too slow all at the same time. My father walked up to my crying mother, trying to stand in such a way that he thought he blocked my view and aimed a gun at her. Something tried to tell me not to look and to just keep my eyes on the TV. But as I rolled my eyes and thought to myself, Oh Lord, here we go again. I look over to hear my father say his last words to her. So you don't love me anymore, right? And in that instant, four shots were fired. He shot her once in the head and two times in the stomach, then turning it on himself underneath his chin. Even with blood dripping from my mother's temple, she looked as peaceful as an angel. My father fell onto a chair by the stairs, blood everywhere, his legs still jittering with some life. It felt surreal, like a horror flick. This couldn't be but it was. So I did what every main character in a horror movie does. I screamed, and I ran out the front door crying for help. Any help. I ran out the house, and the family upstairs quickly hurried me in. They asked me what happened, and confused, I said, I don't know. It was loud like balloons popping. My poor sister had fainted. I remember being scared, but remembering that I had been through nights like that so many times with them, and everything always ended up okay. My parents would heal, my mom would forgive, and my dad would not stay in jail. I looked out from the huge front window from the top of that house with hope. I saw the ambulance take my father out on a stretcher, and I smiled, thinking everything would be okay. I sat on the couch backwards on my knees, still gazing down from the big window, waiting for them to bring out my mother as well. I was kind of excited because I wanted to see her be okay. I waited and waited, but they never brought her out. I didn't understand then. Of course, now as an adult, I know that when a murder occurs, the body or bodies are left untouched for further investigation. My father's bullet went through his chin and got stuck in the very top of his head. I remember visiting him a few times in the hospital. He always had his eyes closed, rolling his head side to side while he spat and spit down his chin landed on the adult bib he now wore. He spoke mostly English due to the nurses, which was very odd for me. He did not remember any of his children except for my oldest sister, who had married at a young age to escape their torment. She had a son when I was only three. He was my nephew, but more like my brother. If we had known 23 years later, he too would be dying from gun violence. I don't know what we would have done. Guess knowing something isn't very helpful unless it could help change it. But can we change it? I did somewhat know that day about my mother's death, but I didn't change it. So what's the point of even knowing? so it can eat away at you for the remainder of your time on earth? Just seemed like a cruel joke by the devil. But with that same thought, I guess if it could have been changed, maybe it was warning signs sent from God. I guess I won't know till I'm gone. My eldest sister was lucky she did not have to be there that day, just like my brother didn't. Driving all the way through that curvy, windy road to inform our brother of the horrid tragedy was a tragedy in itself. I was asked to play outside with my little pink Valentine's teddy bear that my mom had gotten me from her job at Walgreens. I loved that bear. It would say, I love you, let's be friends. I love you, be mine, when you squeezed the little belly. I had it for a long time. I remember feeling like my mother died all over again when the bear's batteries finally ran out years later. But at least I still had it. That is until the day it was stolen. I can't imagine how hard that must have been for my sisters to break such news to their little brother. I was lucky to get to go outside and sit at a school desk surrounded by huge redwood trees as I played with my little bear, who I named Valentina. I sat there, periodically glancing into the empty classroom that the facility had allowed my sisters to sit and speak with our brother for privacy. My sisters were crying their eyes out, and my brother looked confused. What happened now? Is it Ama and Deddy? What? They fighting again? He had asked like it was nothing new. When they told him, he could not believe it. I saw his eyes get bloodshot and watery as I sat looking through the window. Back at the hospital, the doctors finally told my siblings they had to make one of the most hardest decisions they would ever have to make in their lives, to kill or not to kill our father, who had killed our mother. They explained that if they left the bullet in his skull, that he would stay in a half-vegetable state and of course live in an institute for the rest of his life for the crime he committed, just sitting and suffering slowly. If they took the bullet out, he would die. It was up to us, well, my siblings at least. My sisters did not have much compassion for him, which who could blame them? But they also did not want him to suffer, so they made the choice in taking the bullet out. He died two weeks after the tragedy. Many of the family from his side judged my sister's decision, which was not right, but then again, so much in this world isn't. Since then, a lot has gone through my head, The signs, the apparitions, everything. Think about it. I saw a lady with shoulder length dark hair walk down from my mom's room with bloodstains, bloodstains on her stomach, and she would disappear behind the TV, always around dinner time, 6 p.m. My mother had shoulder length dark hair. She got shot once in the head and twice in the stomach around 6 p.m., the same spot I was sitting in front of the TV when the apparition would appear. All on the same day, I had a vision of my mom dying just hours before her actual death. In my vision, my mother died from a car running her over. Well, in reality, my dad had sold our car to buy the gun that killed her. And just now as I sit here revising my story, I made a connection with my first paranormal experience with seeing my sister's braid chopped in half. Maybe because my sister's hair was down to her butt, it was supposed to be a sign of the woman with the shoulder-length hair. Amazing, because it's taken me 28 years to make any real connection to that incident. Were these signs or just coincidences? Well, someone once told me that in life there are no coincidences. People say things like this can't exist. Well, in my life, they do. Trust me, I wish they didn't. It wasn't fun growing up wondering if any signs meant I could have saved them. Always wondering what could have been. I'll never know what any of it really meant. All I do know is that it did happen. It's as real as my parents' death and it haunts me to this day. Since then we are proud to say we have forgiven our father, for he was sick. Yes, it altered all our lives in worse ways than good, but after facing our own demons and tragedies in life, We know this life isn't easy. If anything, what is easy is to go astray, to lose yourself. Sometimes we make mistakes that are undoable, but it doesn't mean it's unforgivable. Thank you, Father, for reaching out to us via Ouija board when I was nine years old and letting us know that you were sorry, that God is real, and that my mother could not speak to us through any oracle because she went straight to heaven. Thank you for letting us know you regretted what you did and that you could not move on due to your unfinished business, which later down the line helped me realize your unfinished business was us, your children's forgiveness. Some of us forgave fast while the other two, the two who had witnessed your evil, took all the time their broken hearts needed as you waited patiently. Well, you are fully loved and forgiven by all of us now. May your soul be set free, as I know it is, I'm pretty sure you're reincarnated through my pup, Chance, who jumped into my car himself and acted as if he knew me forever. His son, CJ, is probably Rahim, and my sister's kitten I got for her for her birthday, she feels, is Amma. No matter what, we will all find one another over and over in one beautiful, endless journey. Rest in peace, Amma, Daddy, and Rahim. I love and miss you all. Till we meet again. Shahina